everybody, welcome back to To The Point. I'm your host, Noah Warren, as always. And we are here on a Wednesday, hump day, as we head into week three of the NFL season, starting tomorrow night with the Steelers visiting the Cleveland Browns. We'll talk about that a little bit today when it comes to just identity of these two teams, injury news and notes before the game tomorrow night, and also uh, just what to expect. And we'll, we'll get to a deep preview tomorrow uh, of the game. We'll talk about that today. But today's just going to be a day of bouncing around. Something I've decided Wednesdays on the show for the NFL season, it's going to be winners and losers. And I, I think I'm going to add this to the NHL season as well. It might just be a Wednesday of winners and losers throughout different different leagues. And my criteria is, is basically, basically based on the the impact that their wins or the impact that their game had on the NFL, what it did to their own public perception, and just publicly, nationally, internally, what was a huge, who was a huge winner and who was a massive loser from week two. And we're going to get into that today. I'm going to talk a little college football, start looking ahead to some games this weekend that interest me, talk about some conferences and some teams that are really come out of nowhere that are good surprises and are that are good for college football some NHL we're going to talk about today with training camps opening boring media pressers that I don't really want to get into but we're going to talk about different news and notes prior to that because that the jargon non-answer from general managers they can have it and some baseball as well with Aaron Judge hitting his 60th home run last night also a massive series between the Guardians and White Sox and why finally my White Sox are kaput after last night's loss in Cleveland. But let's start with winners and losers. And as I mentioned, my criteria is the impact they had, this win or this loss, had on the entire league, had on them nationally, had, had on them public perception, sports talk shows. However you want to define an impact, it's either positive or negative, and you know it. And I have four teams, four winners, four losers from this weekend. I'm going to start with outside looking in or honorable mention. For a winner, I have the New York Jets. The Jets had a fantastic week. Joe Flacco looked like 2012 Joe Flacco. The Jets won a game in week two of a season, which is rare. They're normally winning games late in the year to play spoiler. They're one and one. They're right there with the Patriots tied for tied for third in the division. But I don't want to put the Jets – I don't have the Jets as a clear winner because I don't think it's a win that's going to last longer than one week. The Jets have their positives. I think Garrett Wilson is a flat-out stud. I rewatched the Cleveland Jets game last night. I'm going to talk about some things I liked from that game and just uh, more about Cleveland because it's a, what, what made them special. But watching Garrett Wilson run routes, the guy can do anything. Played at Ohio State. The dude's a flat-out stud. He was great in college. He's going to be good in the NFL. I like Brees Hall a lot as well. They're starting to give him the rock. This Jets offense has some promising things about it. We don't know about the quarterback because Zach Wilson hasn't played a game yet this season. Joe Flacco had a, had a throwback game. I don't expect that to linger. They played the 0-2 Bengals. If you can pull off another upset, if you can get another huge victory, then you have my attention then I can really start to take you seriously and, and look in the mirror and say, maybe the Jets can have a decent season. But until I see that consistently, I cannot have the Jets as a 
as a winner of this week, although they did win a game, they are not leaving that big of a mark on the National Football League. For my four, it was extremely difficult to narrow it down. I initially had, you know, it, w- it was tough to, to narrow down. I initially had the Jaguars. I do not have the Jaguars. I, I scratched them out. I think the Jags had a really interesting week. They won a game against the Colts. We'll get to the Colts. They might be in another list. But I don't have the Jags because, again, I need to see it. Because you, you look around and, and you see a team like the, like, the, uh, like the Jags, and you're just, well, well what, what have they really done? What, what have You could look at the Detroit Lions in this way. But this is my list. I'm going to start with the team that, to me, has made two statements over the first two weeks, and they cannot be denied. That would be the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills are plus 55 in their points differential after the first two games of the season. They allowed seven points to the Tennessee Titans. They allowed 25 yards of rushing to Derrick Henry. And believe you me, I didn't think the Titans were good. I don't have the Titans making the playoffs. I'm not buying into that hype again. I think they were lucky. Ryan Tannehill's days as a starter are winding down in the National Football League. But Derrick Henry is still Derrick Henry. He's still a beast. They still have some pieces. Traylon Burks is good. Running uh, the other receivers leave a lot to be desired. They do have Jeffrey Simmons. They do have Danico Autry on that defensive line. Caleb, Caleb Farley is a good player on defense. But the Bills just beat them in every facet of the game. Every facet of the game, the Bills beat the Titans down. Quarterback play wasn't close. The Bills running attack, my biggest Still my biggest faux pas about this team, still the thing I worry about the most, is how they're going to run the football. But even that was better than the the Titans the other night. The receiving core, Stephon Diggs, they didn't even have Gabe Davis in the lineup, and they crushed the Tennessee Titans. It was not close. And the Bills have just answered every question so far. You played two teams that won the respective divisions last year, and you beat the Rams on the road in Los Angeles. You respond to a Monday night football loss last season to the Titans. You beat them this year. I give credit where credit is due. They they were the favorite to win the Super Bowl before the season. But to me, that was always a bit premature because I think the Chiefs are a better team than the Bills. I might be proven wrong on that as the season goes on. But you can only do you, you only have who's on your schedule. And the Bills are on my list of winners for week two. If they win in week three, I think they'll be on that list because they're playing a good team in the Miami Dolphins. Josh Allen is legit. I'm going to talk about the Bills before the game this weekend. Tomorrow I'm going to start getting into matchups before the betting before the betting segment uh, on Friday with, with Ryder. And I got a couple concerns with the Bills that I'll point out tomorrow in tomorrow's show. But I like... The Bills have done everything that you want from a team so far this season. They've answered every question. They're winning at the line of scrimmage. Their quarterback is great. The receiver's a stud. They're, they're not turning the ball over yet. They're forcing turnovers from the Titans. They're getting pick sixes. Matt Milano, Jordan Poyer comes up with another interception. They've just been dominant through two weeks. And they Monday Night Football, big stage, first game in Buffalo this year. It was a massive victory, and they, they showed a lot of respect 
they showed that they deserve a ton of respect down the stretch here. So I have the Buffalo Bills. Number two, I have the Philadelphia Eagles. I won't go too much into the Eagles because I, I talked about them in depth yesterday. If you missed yesterday's show, you can find it, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. Jalen Hurts is proving to everybody that he is legit. Yesterday at NFL Live, which is a good show in the mothership, Dan Orlovsky broke down Jalen Hurts' tape where he's starting to throw the ball on target. He looks better. He was 26-31 of 31 the other night, which is phenomenal, a great quarterback rating. He can also rush the football. The Eagles are built from their offensive line out. It helps, that, it helps their quarterback be as good as he's been so far this year. But to me, the Eagles are a clear winner in Week 2 because I believe they beat, they beat an opponent that's going to make the playoffs. I have the Vikings making the playoffs in a weak NFC. Kirk D. Cousins is terrible on Monday Night Football. He's 2-for-10 in his career. But it doesn't change that the Eagles were impressive. It doesn't change that they kept Justin Jefferson to 46 yards receiving. It doesn't change the fact that the Eagles forced three red zone turnovers from Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota offense. That's impressive stuff. Jalen Hurts, two rushing touchdowns, threw, threw for another. Credit to the Eagles because they brought it. Their offensive line is physical. Excuse me here. And they just, they don't have a lot of weaknesses either. I think their defense is solid. They had a, week, they had a bad week one against Detroit, but they responded this week. Monday Night Football, as I said, you're, they were given expectations before the season saying they're the best team in the NFC East. Thus far, although the Giants are 2-0, I, the Eagles have been a better team than the 2-0 Giants. We will see where both teams go, but to me, the Eagles are a winner, a clear winner from Week 2. Number three, I have the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys were written off. The Cowboys were left for dead. Dak Prescott is hurt. We're done. The Cowboys season is over. Cooper Rush stinks. And let's just laugh about the Cowboys. For that take, you could have been laughing at the Cowboys for 20-plus years. I know people that root for the Jets and the Cowboys simultaneously. That's as bad as it gets. One team's horrible. One team just likes to screw it up the second you think they're good. But you look at the Cowboys. They played the Bengals, who were in the Super Bowl last year, and they physically whooped them. Micah Parsons said hello once again to the NFL. He was the best player of week two. Any player in the NFL, he's better than Josh Allen. He was better than Jalen Hurts. He was the man. Cooper Rush made plays when he had to. Noah Brown balled out. Tony Pollard made some big plays. The Cowboys were seven and a half point dogs at home. Not only did they cover the number, they outright won the game. That is a rarity. That is even more of a rarity with a backup quarterback. Cooper Rush, the ginger ninja, ninja, excuse me, pulled off that upset against Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. If they aren't a winner, I don't know what criteria you put them in. The Cowboys are still very much alive. This this win should rejuvenate them 
But by osmosis, the division that they play in. Hey, the Giants are 2-0. Do you have faith in Daniel Jones? Because I don't. They're winning in spite of Daniel Jones so far this year. Brian Dayball is that good of a coach. He is. He's ripping into Daniel Jones like, like uh, OC in, in Notre Dame is ripping up Drew Pine, the quarterback. Go find that tape on YouTube if you haven't seen it yet. He's just lambasting the kid because he's been playing like shit for Notre Dame, that crap program. The Cowboys answered a lot of questions. They need to keep backing it up, but you're telling they didn't just beat the Colts who have been crap. They didn't beat some team. They beat the Bengals who were in the Super Bowl last year. Micah Parsons, that defense was better than the Cincinnati offensive line. They were physical. And like I said earlier in the week, the Dallas Cowboys defense can keep them in games. Cooper Rush might be might be the quarterback for the next four to five weeks. They can win a couple of these games with Cooper Rush because their defense is that good. Two touchdowns allowed in two games. Tom Brady, Joe Burrow. The GOAT, the heir apparent in some people's eyes after getting to the Super Bowl last year. They beat both those quarterbacks. Two touchdowns allowed by the defense. If that isn't impressive, then nothing is. Cowboys, big winner in week two. Their season's not dead. They're still alive. They're not as good as the Eagles, but you're I to me, the Commanders, they got crushed by the Lions. The Giants have beaten the Panthers, who have just been completely underwhelming. And they uh, and they beat the the Titans, who stink. Stink. I knew the Titans were gonna stink, and they stink. Cowboys, big winner. My fourth team, this one was easy to throw in as the as the last team for me. It's about the the way you win the game. It's about the way, it's about the person that led it. It would be the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins were left for, you talk about left for dead, they were done this week. They're playing the Ravens. I thought the Ravens were going to win the game. I didn't bet the game, but if I would have, I would have taken the Ravens minus three and a half. And I think that would have been a good bet. It looked like that the whole game. Lamar Jackson, a guy I support, a guy I love because nobody else does, balled out. Rushed for over 100. Threw for two touchdowns. Rashad Bateman looks good. They kick off return for a touchdown. Miami is just, their defense is all over the place on Sunday. But the guy that's been looked over, the guy that's been pushed aside, the guy that nobody knows if he's any damn good at the most important position in the sport, old TT, Tua Tagovailoa, answered the questions. Six touchdown passes, 470 yards passing. He has tied for the most touchdown passes in the game in, in, a, in a game by a Miami Dolphin with Dan Marino. If you don't know Dan Marino, you can look him up. He's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, and that's not hyperbolic. You old, you uh, old heads out there like me, you know how good Dan Marino was. I grew up hearing about how great Dan Marino was because my father was an avid fan. I have a Dan Marino signed jersey to my right. It's honestly something my dad let me have in here. It is one of my favorite things. I want to take it. I don't want him to die, but I, I want it. 
because it's cool. It's one of my favorite pieces of memorabilia. And, I mean, he's 1984 MVP, Hall of Fame in 2005. Tua tied a career day for a Miami Dolphin with Dan freaking Marino and Bob Greasy, who won the Super Bowl in 1972. And if you don't remember, the Miami Dolphins are the only team in the history of the National Football League to go undefeated through an entire season. Sorry, 2007 Patriots, you came close. Tua answered the question. They beat one of the best teams in a loaded AFC. On the road, in Maryland, they went there, they took it from them. They took the game. They made two stops on fourth and ones at the goal line. They bend but don't break. Tua took shots down the field. He might have underthrew Tyreek Hill. Did he complete the pass? I think he did. Tua is not Patrick Mahomes. Tua is not Josh Allen. He, he's, not, he's not Lamar. But that doesn't mean you can't be successful. To me, the key ingredient that is completely necessary for average quarterbacks, guys in the middle, guys who aren't Mahomes, guys that aren't Josh Allen, you need a number one alpha wide receiver to be successful. It is paramount. Jalen Hurts is not a top five quarterback. He needed A.J. Brown. He did. And the Philadelphia Eagles saw it. What'd they do? Trade for A.J. Brown. Is Aaron Rodgers going to need Devontae Adams? We'll see. Clearly, the Raiders, who have been terrible so far this season, believe that Derek Carr needed a bona fide number one receiver. They traded for Devontae Adams. A good quarterback, a good quarterback, but a, a guy that needs a number one receiver. If you look across the league, two is having success. He doesn't have, he has a number one, two really, two number one wide receivers. What's Matt Ryan doing with the Colts? He doesn't have one. Michael Pittman was out this week. Disaster. Tennessee doesn't have one. Disaster. And get another average quarterback. The Jags, they're winning. They have a number one receiver. Not really. Maybe Trevor Lawrence is that good, though. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. But I could go across the league. Is Kyler Murray luckily won a game? Does he have a number one receiver? No, DeAndre Hopkins is putting needles in his arse to become one. He's not really. Was Matthew Stafford was great. Detroit did win Jack. Megatron was great. But Megatron's been retired for a number of years. What was Matthew Stafford doing in Detroit before he got Cooper Cup? Before he went to L.A., he got Cooper Cup? Nothing. Not winning a division, because he never did that in Detroit. Not making the playoffs, because he did that twice. Lost both playoff games. Gets Cooper Cup. Gets a number one receiver. He is a good quarterback, but he isn't top five. You have success. It's case in point. Porn star Jimmy, Devo Samuel. You have these average quarterbacks. Game managers, if you will, you need a number one wide receiver. It's just, it needs, it's not a debate. It isn't, maybe we should do this. You need to find one. And the Dolphins noticed this. The Dolphins saw it. Look at the Patriots. They won this weekend, but they beat the sorry Steelers. And that offense that brings nothing to the table. Is Mac Jones a bad quarterback? No. He's okay. He might be better than Tua. They're close. They're very similar. They both went to Alabama. Both had really good careers at Alabama. Both won a national title. But why is Tua having more success than Mac Jones? 
Tua's not that athletic. Tua doesn't have a good, as good a running backs as New England does, in my opinion. Tua's offensive line, likely better than Mac Jones. What does, who's Mac Jones' number one wide receiver? Jacoby Myers. Jacoby, I like Jacoby Myers. He can run really good, simple routes, and he'll catch the ball. But beyond that, Nelson Aguilar, he was, he was Hollywood Brown before Hollywood Brown came out of the womb. Deep ball, drop it. He made a good play this week. Next week, he'll get a go route, and he'll drop an easy touchdown. That's Nelson Aguilar's career. Frustrating. You're pissed off of them. Kendrick Bourne, who the, who the Patriots won't play. Hunter Henry. Jonu Smith, who I don't think has a catch yet, the, yet this season. You don't have great weapons around an average quarterback. He's not going to play that well. Patriots, offensive coordinator, they, whoever's running the place, their offense stinks. Their players stink. Their personnel isn't any good. Dolphins are 2 no. Patriots are 1-1. One one. Dolphins have won five of the last six against the Patriots. I wonder why. Because the Dolphins have better skill position players. They do. Everywhere you look is better. Yasaki's better than Henry, better than Jonu Smith. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Cedric Wilson, better than the three you can put up from the Patriots. That is the formula for these average quarterbacks. Help them. Sure, Mac Jones isn't going to look because he's not that great. You compare just in division. In that division, in the AFC East, the Patriots have the worst receiving core in the entire division. The Jets is better. It is, ladies and gents. Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Brees Hall, Michael Carter. It's better than what they got up there in Foxborough. There's a reason why people have more faith in the Dolphins than they do the Patriots. And it's not just because their quarterback is mediocre, which Mac Jones is. So is Tua. That's the key. It is. You don't have a... Mahomes doesn't have a number one wide receiver. Doesn't. He hasn't emerged yet. Maybe there will be one by the end of the year. Kelsey is different. Kelsey's a tight end. It's a different position. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have one. Tom Brady does, but again, it's different to me. Stafford needs one. Murray doesn't have one, but he needs one. He's throwing to Dorch. Derek Carr needs one. Carson Wentz needs about three. Needs about three. Because he's Carson. Danny Dimes doesn't. But yet the Giants still win. How long will that last? How long will that philosophy work? Remains to be seen. But that is the key. Mediocre quarterbacks, excellent skill position players. You put a mediocre quarterback with mediocre skill position players or bad skill position players, your team's going to suck. Titans. Patriots. Texans. Bears. Go around the league. Seahawks have good skill position players, not a great quarterback. There's different ways to skin a cat. There's different ways for your team to be bad. When you have an average quarterback 
and your skill position players, and you're looking at them and you can't name two of them and you're a fan of the fucking team, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. All that being said, let's pivot to the losers of week two. Oddly enough, the Patriots aren't in it because they won week two. See about week three. This list is a bunch of teams that I... Impactful losses that are just... It makes you think. I'm starting with the Indianapolis Colts. Nobody liked the Colts preseason more than yours truly. The Colts got Jonathan Taylor, one of the best running backs in football. They bring in Matty Ice, former NFL MVP. Guy who's been to a Super Bowl. A guy who's just been a, a really, really solid, really good quarterback in his career. And yet the Colts are 0-1-1. They tied Houston, and they just lost 24-0 to the Jacksonville Jaguars. A couple of things about the Indianapolis Colts. Why they're a big loser. I don't care if Michael Pittman isn't playing. I don't care that Shaq Leonard isn't playing. I don't care that you cut Rodrigo Blank and shit. I don't care what's happening with the Indianapolis Colts. You put up at least three points against the Jags. You put up at least the three. The Cowboys put up three against the Bucks. You should be able to put up three against the Jags. The Bucks defense has won a Super Bowl. Trayvon Walker is six months from being out of college. He was at he was at Georgia six months ago, and now he's holding you scoreless in the NFL. Come on, man. My I love my Jags. Got them making the playoffs. Jags Nation, Duval, what's up? I'm in. But you got to put up three points. You got to get a field goal, get something. That's just pathetic. Michael Pittman might have been out on Sunday, who is their best receiver. But Chris Ballard, you did nothing to improve this receiving board. Mo Alley-Cox, you let Zach Pascal go to the Eagles, caught a couple passes the other night. Who else you got? Nobody. Alec Pierce didn't play because he's injured. Second round pick out of the University of Cincinnati. You had no help for Matty Ice. What did I just talk about, ladies and gents? You got average quarterback play, which Matt Ryan is now. He's 37. Beating around a little bit. Pocket passer. He's been declining. When you're an older quarterback, you've been battered around, you don't have all the skills that you used to, and your wide receivers and your offensive line stink, you're going to stink. Your team's going to stink. Their offensive lines are not creating any holes anymore. They got Quentin Nelson, but Braden Smith, Ryan Kelly, these guys are getting beat off the line of scrimmage. Their offensive line gelling and becoming a physical group is the key to them having any success this year. I mean, Mark Lewinsky, you made a Pro Bowl. Ryan Kelly, you made a Pro Bowl. Braden Smith, you were an All-Pro. Are you guys good players still, or are you done? Jonathan Taylor becoming the focal point of this offense is key for the Colts. It's the one way they will get back in. They can fight for a playoff spot. 
They need to be a running football team that is built off play action that can lead to Matt Ryan because this wide receiver group is not good enough to just be based on who they have. Another thing, Mo Ali Cox, you're a tight end. You might want to catch some passes. Block, my friend. Block, because you're not that good in the receiving game. Throw a block in, chip, get on the edge, help out your shit offensive line. Because you're not going to be catching any passes all year. You'll catch a two-yard little digger out, and you'll be tackled to the ground. You're not an elite tight end. You're a blocking tight end that can catch passes. Get over yourself. Colts stink. Week two, and you just you look it up. You just look up headlines. Week two, and you look loser. Losing to the Jags. Scoreless. That is definition of loser. But hey, Jags, you know I love you. Again, Eminem said to Diddy, Diddy, you know I'm just kidding. You know I love you. Jags, I might be putting you down right now, but you know I love you. You know I do. Jags Nation, playoffs. I might go to London for your game. Just kidding. But I thought about it. Not really. But I'll watch it. 10.30 kick. I'll be, I'm dialed in for that. Looked up the schedule this morning just for fun because I'm curious and I can't wait. I just, I, I get anxious with games. London game next week. Minnesota and the Saints in London. Jacksonville week eight. The Bucks in week 10 going to Germany or something. All these 10.30 a.m. starts. Love it. Start the day earlier. Get her going. You can flip over, see the other screen, Rex Ryan on Countdown. The one guy I like in that show, really. I like Hasselback too, I guess. Teddy Bruschi's okay. Randy Moss can go, but nevertheless. Colts, loser. Carolina Panthers, loser. Their offense stinks. And the thing is, it shouldn't. DJ Moore is legit. Robbie Anderson's a good receiver, although he dropped two balls this last weekend. Their tight ends stink. Tremble caught, dropped two passes. Panthers' offensive line, I thought it'd be a problem. It's a bigger problem. He can't block nothing. Baker doesn't have time. When he does, he's throwing balls into the dirt. He hasn't played well the first two games. I'm a Baker defender because he's in that hellhole that is Cleveland. I can't defend his play over the first two weeks. He has been a bad quarterback. You got a good receiving core. You got one of the most electric backs in the NFL, and you need to start winning games because Christian McCaffrey will be hurt by week six because he always is. He always is. You need to use him while you can in the run game, in the pass game. However you can use him, dial it up. This offensive line needs some work. It needs You need to draw a place to help your... I just mentioned these shit tight ends that are on teams. Tremble, block, so that he can get the ball to D.J. Moore. He can get the ball to Robbie Anderson down the field. That's the better decision. I think you need to get McCaffrey more involved in the offense. Line him up in Wildcat, get him out in the screen game. Get Chuba Hubbard involved if you if you have to. But Carolina, you start your season at home to the Browns and then at the Giants and you're 0-2. 
we're still going to talk about the game this weekend with the Saints for the Panthers who need that win more than anything. I'm going to preview the game, but I'm going to lay out my little hot take of the week right now. Why not? We're half hour into the show. Why not leave my hot take? The Carolina Panthers lose this weekend to the New Orleans Saints in Carolina. Matt Rule will be fired before practice on Monday. He would be 10-27 and 27 as a coach. When you start the season 0-3 with a new quarterback, I don't see him staying around. They owe him a pile of money. But David Tepper is worth a shit ton of money there in Carolina. And I think he's going to want to move on from Matt Rule, except that it was a bad hire who had no real experience, was not a really decorated coach at Baylor. He had one great season. Not to mention it might help Matt Rule because there's a bunch of college jobs opening that I think college teams would be interested. Nebraska's got an opening. Arizona State's got an opening. I mean, Urban Meyer can't take all these jobs. Matt Rule's got to end up somewhere. Panthers lose this weekend. Matt Rule will be unemployed. Fucking a check, but unemployed. My prediction for the week. Number three, Las Vegas Raiders. Up 20 to nothing against the Arizona Cardinals. Who I mentioned didn't have J.J. Watt. Don't have DeAndre Hopkins. Have that good-looking, incompetent Cliff Kingsbury on the sideline. Have a quarterback that doesn't study the playbook in Kyler Murray. I kid, but not really. A defense that's worse than it used to be. Chandler Jones is now a Raider. His old team beat him in Arizona. 20 to, 20 to nothing at home. That's inexcusable loss. You need to win that game. Derek Carr, you went so conservative. Josh McDaniels play calling in the second half. You just wanted to throw the game away. Kill shot. Put the game away. Don't be afraid to be aggressive. They were not. They were timid. They were afraid. They played not to win. That's the worst way you can play. Devontae Adams had two catches for 19 yards on Sunday. It's not a big deal if you win. Guess what? It is when you lose because then people can point it out like me and say, wow, where was Devontae Adams? Nowhere to be found. Hunter Renfro, you can't fumble twice in two plays, my friend. Max Crosby, get Kyler Murray. You can't let him run for 85 yards to get a two-point conversion. You cannot let a quarterback rush for a two-point conversion and have a pass for a two-point conversion in the same game. I'm sorry. Can't. You cannot let a team score a defensive touchdown to win a game after they got the ball and had to punt in overtime. You had the game won so many damn times, you never knew how to finish it. You start the season 0-2 in the toughest division in the National Football League. Your head coach looks bad. If the Broncos weren't so shit, people might actually think that... I think people believe that the Raiders are, in, are higher in the, in the division than the Broncos. They're not, but the Broncos just look so incompetent. They're 1-1. One one. The Raiders are winless. Raiders are winless. I love Derek Carr. I defend Derek Carr. His first two games have not been good. They haven't been. The receivers have played porous. Their defense is still has issues on it. 
secondary trouble. They have a must-win game this weekend against the Tennessee Titans. I don't have the Titans as a loser of this week because they just I don't have no faith in them and I didn't expect much at Monday night. They're an honorable mention, I guess. The Tennessee Titans, just how pathetic they were. They didn't even make it a game. Those two teams are both 0-2. Both made the playoffs last year and are fighting to stay relevant. You're 0-3, you're done. Your season is effectively over at 0-3. The odds of you making the playoffs are slim to none. Titans would have a better chance because they have a poor division. For the Raiders, you go 0-3. You still have the Chiefs twice. You have the Broncos twice and the Chargers once. That's five of your games. Five division games remaining. Those will be some of your opponents. Those aren't gimmies. Do you win two of those? Do you win one of those? I think you can beat the Broncos. They got the Broncos in week four, but that's no, it's not a guarantee. For the Raiders, really disappointing. And they're, they're being protected this week. They're being protected nationally because the Denver Broncos coaching scene, the Denver Broncos overall look has been so god-awful that people are forgetting about the Raiders. My last team are the Bengals. I didn't include the Broncos because I wanted to be fair. I have three AFC teams for the loser category this week. But for the Bengals, you lose your your seven and a half point favorite, and you lose to a backup quarterback in Dallas. For the Bengals, you allowed six sacks, which is an improvement after the seven you gave up in Week One. I mean, come on. Your first two games of the year against the Steelers, at home, and then the the Cowboys without Dak Prescott on the road, and you lose both games. I don't care that they're close. I don't care that they can't out of the wire. Your quarterback's getting killed. Your defense is okay, but again, it's not down the stretch. Cooper Rush made plays. The defense couldn't get a stop. Joe Burrow just scares the hell out of me. He's going to be the next Andrew Luck. He's going to retire at an early age. And I'm going to be like, why? Well, because he just his, physically, his body can't physically take it anymore. But all that hype... And all that getting to the Super Bowl and you hear about T. Higgins, you hear about Jamar Chase and how great they're going to be. And then you see them lose these two games in the fashion that they did. It's a gut punch to lose to the Cowboys ever because they're going to be talked about every day on every talk show. But not only that, you lose on a game-winning field goal in week one. You lose on a game-winning field goal in week two. That is loser central. They're still very talented. They can turn this around. But a lot of the time this weekend, I saw Zach Taylor with a scrabble face. That offensive line doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Joe Burrow holds on to the ball too damn long. This team has some flaws. Great thing for Cincinnati is that the Ravens lost this week, the Browns lost this week, and the Steelers lost this week. They are three-way tie for first at 1-1. Then you have the Bengals at 0-2. You can easily get back into this race, but you've put yourself behind the eight ball, and there's two games that you should have won on your schedule that you threw away. So that's winners and losers of week two in the National Football League. We'll do this again next Wednesday. 
because you know I think there's the, the Chiefs had a good week. They beat the Chargers. That's a good win. There's always going to be these games, and I think there's just teams that pop, thinking after a week, they might not be a team that goes all the way, but they have a great week. They put themselves in a position to potentially make the playoffs, and that's how we'll evaluate it going forward. News yesterday: the Tampa Bay Buccaneers signed Cole Beasley to their practice squad. Beasley, formerly of the Dallas Cowboys and the Buffalo Bills. He was a pro bowler in Buffalo last year. He had a slightly less productive season. Had over 600 yards receiving playing in the slot with Josh Allen. But he was scheduled to make $6.1 million. They cut him for salary cap purposes. And he had not gotten picked up, pick, picking up anybody. He's been, you know, kind of pushed to the side from the National Football League because he was unvaccinated. He was unable to play in certain games. But the Bucks are so thin. Julio Jones did not play in week two. He's questionable for week three. Chris Godwin's going to be out for week three. You have Rashad Perriman will be active. Mike Evans is suspended. He will be missing this weekend's game against Green Bay. So Cole Beasley was a necessary addition. You look around the box, Cameron Brait is going to get more looks, I believe. Cole Beasley, I think, will dress. Scotty Miller got a lot of targets this past weekend. I think Gio Bernard could be on the field more when it comes to third down and receiving the football. So Cole, they give Cole Beasley a shot. I think he's a guy that Tom Brady will like a lot. He plays in the slot. He is He's like Julian Edelman. He's like Danny Amendola, Wes Welker, where he's small. He can fit into tight areas, and he'll take big hits to get wins. He was good in Dallas. He was productive in Buffalo, and he gets his third stint here with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And as I mentioned, I think he will be active this weekend because they just don't have any receivers. For once, the Green Bay Packers might have a better receiving core than, than their opponent where Aaron Rodgers has got Christian Watson, who was a high second-round pick, and he's got Romeo Dobbs, and he's got old man Sammy Watkins and Alan Lazard, but he doesn't trust a whole lot of his guys. But in Tampa, they're not going to have a whole lot of reps together. I don't think Tom Brady particularly loves Scotty Miller, but he's going to be forced to give him the ball this weekend against Green Bay because, let's just be honest, there's no other option. He's going to be forced into working with guys he's not fond of because of the lack of depth and the injuries slash suspensions for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Before we pivot to college football, let's get to Steelers-Browns. Just a quick preview before, and we'll get into this in more depth tomorrow. For the Browns tomorrow night, edge rusher Jadavion Clowney will be out. He's got an ankle injury. He will not be active for the Browns. That means Miles Garrett will be there. But you know the guy who lines up on the opposite side of the defensive line will not be there. So expect the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line to double up on Miles Garrett the entire night. Obviously, Garrett and the Steelers have a long history with Garrett taking his helmet off and hitting or taking Mason Rudolph's helmet off and hitting him with it. He was suspended for eight games following that altercation. And that, you know, that's that it's a rivalry like none of the Browns and the Steelers. I mean, they've been some nasty games between these two teams. It's on a Thursday night in Cleveland, those shit fans, who knows what they'll be up to, but no clown. He's a big deal. TJ Watt will remain out for the Steelers with his torn pack. He will not be active. It does look like the Steelers will have all the receivers. Pat Fryermuth took a big hit at the end of the game against the Patriots. 
But it's being said he'll play the great the tight end who's been one of the most productive players the last number of years. They will have Chase Claypool. They will have George Pickens. Deontay Johnson will be active for for the Browns. Amari Cooper will be there. They they they'll have all their all their weapons. The running backs are healthy, so they'll be active in the game. And and looking at the game against the Jets, the best thing I can say about Cleveland and why I think they will win this game tomorrow night, if they win this game tomorrow night, it's because of their offensive line and two main guys in particular to watch tomorrow night. That would be Wyatt Teller on the interior and Jedrick Wills, who plays left tackle. They both do a phenomenal job in not only the pass game, but the, but the, the run game, where Wyatt Teller is so explosive at that right guard position, he opens up massive holes for Nick Chubb to run through. He is just a physical force. He will throw defensive linemen to the ground. He is strong as an ox. He's not afraid to engage physically. And that's just, he plays a nasty brand of football. Now on the other side, the Browns have Jacoby Brissett. He can move a little bit, but that's not his strength. He's not a guy that's going to scramble. He's not a guy that is, you know, he's going to break off for a 25-yard rush. Jedrick Wills at left tackle is as sure-handed as it gets. Last week, he's going up against Quentin Williams. He's going up against Leonard Williams for the New York Jets, who are both good pass rushers. He did a phenomenal job protecting Brissett. Again, another physical, physical guy. He is good in the running game as well. And the Browns, have a their offensive line is their identity, in particular without a starting quarterback at the helm. You need your offensive line for your running backs who are both really talented, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, who... I don't particularly love, but again, he's a very skilled player. They like to use both backs. They like to use them in the red zone. They're both touchdown machines. It's the way the, the Browns put up points normally is Nick Chubb running them in or giving it to Kareem Hunt for short yardage situations. That is the way the Browns play. That's the way they have success. Looking at it, the Browns should be 2-0. and They threw away a game against the Jets. They did. They shouldn't, they shouldn't have lost to the Jets, but they did. They threw it away. They made... Uh, mental mistakes. They allowed an onside kick, which is so rare in today's game. So half of this is situational awareness. Half of this is coaching. It's a short week, but how can you get into your players' heads that we played for Kevin Stefanski telling your boys, we played a good enough game to win here. We should have beaten the Jets by two touchdowns, yet we we let our foot off the gas. Corey Davis scored a touchdown with a minute and 22 seconds left where the coverage was completely blown. Denzel Ward thought he was playing soft zone. He thought he'd have safety help over the top. Corey Davis gets by both of them. He's in the house before Denzel Ward can look over to safety and give him the business. So can they make big decisions? Can they make smart plays at the opportune times to win a ball game? But that offensive line is the key for the Cleveland Browns. I mentioned TJ Watt will not be playing. So you're going to have Cam Hayward. Alex Highsmith does do a good job in relief. He does get a good jump off, off off the line. He gets good pressures. But to me, for the Steelers, you know, to really get back in this, it's about it's about that offensive line uh, getting getting going in the run game. But in particular, can that defensive line match up with Jedrick Wills, with Wyatt Teller to really make a difference? Can Cameron Hayward break through? Can he make a play? Get a couple sacks, stuff the run. Because if Nick Chubb has big, big running holes early, if Kareem Hunt is, if they're averaging four or four and a half yards a carry, that is going to be a long night for the Steelers. 
And not to mention, you cannot be in high-scoring games for the Steelers because you're going to lose. They allowed 20 points in Week 1 of the Bengals. They allowed 17 points last week. You could make a good argument they should have lost both games. Their offense is anemic right now. Mitch Trubisky is on life support. If he doesn't have a great game tomorrow night, again, he could be removed. Kenny Pickett could be the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers moving forward. So we'll see where that goes. We'll talk about it more tomorrow. But that's really, for me, the strength of the Browns is their offensive line. And as always, their weakness can be coaching. Their weakness can be decision-making. Ownership is always a weakness in Cleveland. They just brought a lot of dumb people hanging around that organization. There's a reason they've been a losing, losing franchise for such a long time. And that's a key, key cog in that machine. So, and we'll update you on different injuries around the league as well tomorrow. I mentioned the Bucs. Mike Evans' suspension was upheld. Tom Brady doesn't practice on Wednesdays now, so he's not there today. Julio Jones, I don't believe, is practicing today for the for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so he's trying to come back from that ankle or that knee injury that he suffered in week one after he seemed to have some jumps, seemed to have a burst. So we'll update you guys on all that news and notes um, tomorrow. Moving to college football. College football is so interesting. So far this year, I mean, you have your elite teams. You have Georgia. To me, Ohio State is right there. Alabama is is behind them. And my Alabama, to me, is not the second best. I think Ohio State is a better team, top to bottom, than Alabama. But we'll see how that goes. USC, University of Southern California, has been really impressive on offense. They've been battling, playing, playing good football. But looking past the big schools who are Dom Michigan, who's playing great, but they've played cupcakes so far. There's some really good stories around the world of college football when it comes to teams coming out of nowhere. I mean, you start with it. Appalachian State. App State, they played three games this year. Week one, they lost 62-51 to 51 to North Carolina. Went to double overtime. It was a shootout. A crazy, crazy game that Drake May found a way to win for the Tar Heels. A game that I'll remember forever. It was a slugfest. And App State, I believe, scored 24 points in the fourth quarter alone. Impressive stuff. Then the next week, you go and beat Texas A&M at Texas Station. And yes, that might not look like a huge, a big, impressive win. But App State's in the Sun Belt. They are not given any respect nationally. They're, they pay, Texas A&M paid them $1.5 million to come in and, and play them as a cupcake game on their schedule, as every team does. Alabama loves to play Mercer. They love to play Furman every year just for games that you move through a week, you try to get better, and you get ready to play the good teams like Georgia and the other good SEC schools. So there's that of it all. But you go into Texas Station, you get a victory, and then you follow that up with you win. You steal college game day from Texas A&M, and college game day... Pat McAfee's coming in on his private jet. You got David Pollack, Coach Corso. All the boys are in Appalachian State University. Luke Combs, your, your uh, alumni, is the guest picker on game day. And you beat Troy on a Hail Mary. Hail Mary play that never works. You beat Troy. You're now 2-1 and one in three of the most epic, controversial, 
crazy victories that you'll ever see. That is a story. To me, Notre Dame being as bad as they are is an interesting story. I saw it coming. I had to tell a few of my friends it was going to happen. But Notre Dame's Notre Dame regressing to the mean, Notre Dame looking like a bad team under Marcus Freeman, the fact that Notre Dame fans have to celebrate a win over Cal, Cal who stinks, the doormat of, of the Pac-12. How about Kansas? The University of Kansas, in the, their last 30 games prior to this season, their record was 3-27. and 3-27, and meaning they are one of the worst programs in college football. You are forget. Nobody cares. You are a doormat. You lose to everyone in the Big 12. Yet, Kansas to start this year is 3-0. Kansas this season has defeated Houston. They defeated another ranked team. Kansas is back. Their program has been built back. 3-27 and 27 in their previous 30. They've won three straight to start the season in a Big 12 that has Texas, that has Oklahoma, that has Oak State, that has Baylor. There are good schools in the Pac-12. They are beating them. They beat a Houston that's always ranked, that seems to always have a, a first or second round pick in the NFL draft. Kansas never does. They're a basketball school. Co they're building on John Calipari. Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, those are the names you think of when you go to you go to do you go to uh, Kansas. They just won a national title in basketball. Sorry, Anthony Davis went to Kentucky. Got that one messed up. But you look, Kansas is based off basketball players going to the NBA. Based off great coaching in basketball, going to the Final Four, having success. Not football, yet they're 3-0. and And the twist of fate that is so interesting this weekend, Kansas is playing Duke. Duke, another basketball school, playing in the ACC, 3-0. So you have two basketball schools going head-to-head -head this weekend in Kansas, both 3-0. I'm going to watch some of this game because I'm happy for both programs that have just climbed out of the mud, climbed out of the gutter, are being just completely irrelevant. They likely, neither of these teams will be ranked this year, but it's good to see programs start to climb out of the dirt, start to find some success. Teams are great forever. Alabama's been good forever. Texas A&M is always decent. If you go around the sport, you're always going to find something positive about these big schools that can recruit. Kansas doesn't put the money into recruiting football players. They're looking at basketball players to win another national championship. Well, they're 3-0 in the Big 12. They look to be 4-0 when they beat Duke this weekend. What a win that would be if they could start 4-0, be undefeated in the month of September. That would be a huge story in college football. University of Washington. The University of Washington is back. Michael Penix Jr., transfer from the University of Indiana, left the Big Ten after being really good but being an injured quarterback. We haven't been able to see his full potential because he's been too injured. Good things at Indiana, but not consistently in the lineup enough. He's healthy at Washington, and Washington is a damn good football team. They crushed Michigan State on Saturday night. 
Michigan State who gave Mel Tucker a 10-year deal to win those games, to be ranked. Not only Michigan State was ranked, they are now not even in the top 25 after the beatdown that Michael Penix Jr. and the Washington Huskies gave to them on Saturday night. First-year head coach beats the hell out of Mel Tucker. Now Michigan State is hardly favored this weekend as they're not even in the top 25. Mel Tucker making over $8 million a year for Michigan State to remain mediocre. But the University of Washington, undefeated. The Pac-12 has been one of the best conferences this year. The Pac-12 has been the second best conference in college football. It's better than the Big Ten because the Big Ten right now stinks. Northwestern stinks. Nebraska stinks. Illinois stinks. You look at these schools. Okay, Ohio State's really good. Michigan, I think they're a fraudulent team. They play nobody. Nobody. Maryland's 3-0. They got Michigan this weekend. We'll see where the rubber meets the road. It's at the big house. I expect I expect Michigan to win handily. What a weekend it would be if Tua's brother, Talia Tagabailoa, could win at Maryland, and then Tua could upset the Bills. That would be two of the biggest upsets of the weekend. I'm sure that's paying well on FanDuel. But University of Washington beats a big, ben, big Big Ten school on primetime. Not only that, now you're in a prime position. You got Stanford. That's another victory this weekend that would be really impressive on your resume. You can start battling with USC's, with the Oregon's, to get more and more respect. But look at the Pac-12. Oregon, good record. They're two and one. They had a tough start. They bounced back. Washington State undefeated. University of Washington undefeated. USC undefeated. These schools are good in the Pac-12. UCLA, nobody's going to the games, but they're undefeated. They edged out a win last weekend. I don't care. They're still undefeated. The Pac-12 has had a great start to the year. Credit to University of Washington. Good hire a coach. Good recruiting in the transfer portal. Seeing a talent at quarterback, and when you're a school like Washington, who hasn't been relevant in a long time, and you see a quarterback that might be a little dinged up, you take a chance on it because of the upside, because you haven't had anybody in a long time. Michael Penix Jr., that good receiving core, gives Washington a chance to compete for a Pac-12 title this season. USC is better than Washington, but Washington's defense is better than USC's. You never know. You never know. Washington could get hot. They could go on a run. They could just as easily lose to Stanford this weekend. It's an 11.30 kickoff. I plan to watch that game. Another good story. Penn State. Penn State's undefeated. They had a tough start. They barely got by Purdue. They crushed Auburn in Auburn this weekend. Nick Singleton looks like the next great running back to come out of, out of Penn State. And if you ever hear of Saquon Barkley, he's pretty good. Nick Singleton's a freshman, one of the top recruits. He went to Penn State. He's a baller. He's got four touchdowns already on the season. He can burst and make big plays happen. And when Penn State has a running game, it makes them a different team because Sean Clifford is a quarterback that needs a great running game so he can use play action to find, you know, Brenton Strange, to find his receivers down the field. 
He doesn't have Jahan Dotson anymore, but he's still got some good receivers in on the team in Penn State. I mentioned Michigan's got Maryland. Penn State's got a couple cupcake games the next couple weeks. Then they go to the big house. I think it's on October 12th or 13th. Might be the weekend before. Might be the 11th. Whatever Thanksgiving weekend is, that's when Penn State is going to Michigan. That is a big win. That is a, that's a big opportunity. Normally, I'd say they have no chance of winning that game. Michigan at home, I'm not ruling it out. Michigan's got some holes, and as I mentioned, I like a team that plays somebody that gets a test. They play Connecticut, Hawaii, Colorado State to start the year. Nothing. Cupcake schedule. They've proven nothing. I'm intrigued to watch their game against Maryland this weekend. Maryland's undefeated. And Tagovailoa has played pretty well this year for Maryland as well. That's a game I'm tracking this weekend. Florida, Tennessee, that's where game day is going to be. That's an interesting one. Tennessee's undefeated. You have Florida with one loss. Florida can be good. They played... They played up to their competition in Utah in week one. They won that game. Then they played down to Kentucky. The SEC is really good. I think Florida's a decent team. Kentucky is obviously a good team. I think Tennessee is very good. This is a, a game you'd want to watch for me is Tennessee and Florida. Big SEC matchup. See if Hendon Hooker and Tennessee, the Volunteers can do enough to remain undefeated this weekend. Getting into October, this SEC schedule is going to get very compelling. Tennessee is good. Alabama is obviously good. A&M isn't that great. I think Kentucky's pretty good. Arkansas is really good. Georgia is obviously really good. There's a lot of good teams in the SEC, and they're going to be playing each other, which is fun. Alabama's no lock to beat any of these teams. Georgia is far superior to, to Alabama. I think they're much better than Ohio State, quite frankly, who's the second-best team in, in the country. But can, does Alabama get through the gauntlet? How does Texas A&M do in their schedule playing against these SEC schools? That's what I'm getting excited for. That's what I'm looking forward to watching. You got Ohio State, Wisconsin this weekend. That's the 830 game. Oklahoma's always fun to watch. They got Kansas State this coming weekend. I mentioned you got that good game on CBS. North Carolina's playing Notre Dame. Notre Dame's not fun to watch, but North Carolina's offense is, and Drake May is appointment viewing television. The kid can play. I think he's going to be a high pick in the draft. He can sling it. You can watch an offensive coordinator just rip into Drew Pine of Notre Dame. That's always fun as well. I think it's going to be a good weekend in college football. We'll get into it more on Friday, but I'm looking forward to the slate of games this coming weekend. To the National Hockey League. Training camps are open. Across the league, players are reporting. Rookie camps are over. You have guys from junior teams that are at, at the facility now for a few days. You're going to have exhibition games starting on Saturday. And, you know, the season is a little over two weeks away. Tuesday, the season is exactly two weeks away. It starts on October 11th. We got Rangers, Lightning, Vegas, L.A., the doubleheader on opening night before a slew of games on Wednesday, including Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, and Edmonton as a double shot. 
And there, me, Seamus and I talked about storylines yesterday throughout the league with different players, with different teams. Where, where do they go from here? You know, Seamus referenced John Tortorella in Philadelphia laying down the law because I think Chuck Fletcher just hates that team in Philadelphia because they've been so damn disappointing. Well, what made news today was something I didn't expect. And I respect, I didn't expect, but I respect it. I can't see, I can't say many great things about Brendan Shanahan and the way he's handled and the, let me say this, let me rephrase it. I think Brendan Shanahan's done an adequate job as the president of the Toronto Maple Leafs, although I know nothing that he's done personally. As a president, you kind of get to lay in the weeds, you kind of get to hide behind the general manager, but they drafted well. They went through the Shanna plan. The Maple Leafs have been relevant for the last number of years through merit because you could say the Maple Leafs are always relevant, but they should, to me, teams should be relevant when you're winning. Their Maple Leafs remain relevant even when they stink. And although they haven't been that great because they've lost in the first round for, what, five years in a row now? But, Brandon, I fully expected today with the training camps opening for Brandon Shanahan to come out and meet the media and announce that he had signed Kyle Dubas to a one-year contract extension. Because we mentioned this yesterday, but Maple Leafs general manager Kyle Dubas has one year remaining on his contract. He was signed to a five-year deal when Lou moved on to go join the Islanders. And this is year five. It's coming down to the wire here. And I thought he'd be given at least a one-year deal so that Dubas wouldn't be heading into this season as a lame duck, if you will, general manager. Meaning he has to play out the final year and he could be done in Toronto. Well, much to my surprise, Shanahan said he would not be giving Kyle Dubas an extension. He would not be giving him a deal. And he, he said he knew he know, Kyle is aware of the situation. And they're fine moving forward where Kyle does not have a contract. Couple things. I'm shocked by this because Toronto is mostly about optics. They're mostly about winning press conferences. They're mostly they're more they're more interested in winning press conferences and winning public opinion than they are about winning playoff games or winning games in general. They love to come off well. They love to present this image of themselves that's about winning, that's about great culture, that's about stability. And you could argue that they have the last number of years, but Dubas has failed. He hasn't. He's built a team that hasn't been able to get out of the first round. The Austin Matthews scored 60 goals. Mitch Marner's been a great player. The team's won jack shit. Nothing. Normally, teams give a GM, coach, manager an extra year on their deal, even if before as they're walking into their last year. I'll give you an example. Earlier this season, Charlie Montoya was given a one-year extension by the Toronto Blue Jays. He was going into the last year of his contract. Well, Charlie Montoya was fired in June, meaning he gets paid out for the rest of this year and all of next year by the Toronto Blue Jays. It's completely unnecessary. You don't need to give anybody that extra term because newsflash, there's not that many managerial openings. And when it comes to GMs in the National Hockey League, GMs are not fired that often because they're given a long leash. You're given a long time to build up a roster. 
And I don't think you worry about a GM asking other teams about asking about availability because how many teams are clamoring for Kyle Dubas? Let's be honest here. I don't think that many. Do teams really want a cast of characters from Sault Ste. Marie coming to their franchise? I don't think people in Edmonton, I don't think people in Winnipeg care about Sault Ste. Marie players being on their roster. They don't. You want to bring oil kings onto the uh, onto the team? Sure. Sault Ste. Marie, they could give a shit. So I give credit to Brandon Shanahan. I give credit to the Toronto Maple Leafs for having the stones, for not paying a guy just for optics. He, Kyle Dubas is well aware that if the Maple Leafs lose in the first round again, he's done. I truly believe that. I think Sheldon Keefe will be done as well. They could win the President's Trophy, which isn't totally out of the realm of possibility this year, I might add, because they can score goals with anybody. They can. Their goal differential will be great this year, even with their goaltending, because they can score with anyone. They could win the President's Trophy. They could, Matthews could win the MVP again. They could be all hunky-dory. If they lose in the first round for the sixth straight year, which would continue a record in the, in the National Hockey League, Kyle Dubas is out as general manager. Sheldon Keefe is out as GM. Maybe Shanahan's out as president. I don't know. Probably should be. But there's if Dubas wins a couple rounds, he has a good trade deadline. This team, who he's believed in forever, he's never tweaked the big players. If they don't have success, Kyle Dubas should not be the one to shake up this roster because clearly he's unwilling to. Clearly he's unwilling to part with the players at the top. And if that's his direction, somebody else needs to have their hands on the proverbial wheel. It can't be him. It cannot be Kyle Dubas because he, he's unwilling to. He's afraid to. He doesn't want to make that decision. If he has success, you reward him with a contract extension. Give him two, three years then. Great. Look at Nathan McKinnon yesterday. He got a record extension when he won a Stanley Cup. He won the ultimate prize. We're asking Kyle Dubas to get an extension by winning a round. He'll... He'll, he will likely be extended if the Toronto Maple Leafs win around this year. And that's a sad thing to say, but he probably will be. Those are the expectations for teams that have had none. But this is the right move by Brandon Shanahan. You don't, just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you should spend it. You can be rich. That doesn't mean you just dive into your pocket and give it to every charity. Because guess what? There's some charities that are just not worth giving to around the world. There's some charities that are scams. There are people that you don't invest in. Somebody walks up to your door and they say, hey, can you invest in this? I know you're a billionaire. Just because you have the money doesn't mean to give it to them. These big networks, they pass on shows. Why? They have the money. They could green light it. They could put it on television. But they're thinking, this isn't really that good of a show. Sure, we got a time slot. We could put it in there. Maybe we could put it on Paramount Plus. Maybe we could put it on Amazon. We could have it on a streaming service. But guess what? This programming shit. Apple turns away more TV pitches than anybody. More of these, more of these production companies come to Apple and they say, no, your product isn't good enough. Because they have a standard. They want all their television. They want all their stuff to be great. That's, that's the standard in Toronto. 
You don't just give money to people because you have it. I'm not rich. I don't just give somebody 10 bucks because I have, so I got 10 bucks, I could give it to you. What sense is that? It's 10 fucking dollars. I could pay gas with that $10. I could buy it. I could gamble with that 10 bucks. Thursday night football, gambling, parlay. Mix it up. Why would I part with that money? You wouldn't. You don't just give out money for optics. Bruce Cassidy got this in Boston. They fired him. Great, you have to pay him out. Good for you, Boston. Stupid. These coaches and managers don't have a salary cap. Their, their pool of where they can go is so much more small. You could say, well, no, there's 30 teams. Yeah. But there's, a, there's four centers on every team. There's one head coach. There's one general manager. That's it. 32 of them. In the entire fucking league. GMs are given a long leash. Kyle runs out his contract and he has an interest from Winnipeg. Winnipeg has another tire fire a year. They finally they get rid of Kevin Shevel Day off because he's been there forever. Go. Go find another guy. Maybe Lou wants to come back. Maybe the Leafs will be so tired with their loose dress code and Matthew's beard and, and stash and, and his hair, they'll be like, hey, we got to rein him in. Maybe it's a complete role reversal because Kyle's been letting them do whatever the hell they wanted his entire tenure. Maybe they need a hard-nosed guy. I don't know. But you don't just pay money to somebody because you have it. It's true, rich people, if you, you got to spend money to make money. Absolutely. But spending money and giving it to the drug addict who's going to go spend it on drugs and alcohol is not a good investment. That's losing money. You got a bunch of valuable diamonds and you put it on a put it on a big boat, right? And it's got holes in it everywhere, and you see that it's kind of leaking, and it's already left the port, but you feel comfortable giving it to this captain to get it to wherever the hell you need it to go. That's a bad investment. That's a stupid decision. Because guess what? You're going down, my friend. That boat's sinking and all your valuables, kaput. Kyle Dubas can make it or break it this year. Put the pressure on him. The players have the pressure. He should feel it too. Good on Brendan Shanahan. Don't wilt the public pressure. You never wilt the public pressure when they tell you to fire anybody. You don't wilt the public pressure when it's what you, what you have to do in the business. You don't want a lame duck GM. You don't need a lame duck coach. Earn it. I didn't make all this money just to give it to you. Earn your paycheck. I'm putting asses in seats. We have sellouts every night in Toronto. My team stinks. So we're not that bad. We're good in the regular season. But we haven't won jack shit in the playoffs, and we got sellouts every night. We don't got a word. We got people that want season tickets for the next 50 years. That's me. I did that. What have you done on the ice? My product is mediocre. I get to game sevens. All my players shit their pants, and the GM is a nerd. Cares about analytics, and my coach is a bumbling idiot who believes in handshake lines and a lot of respect in that handshake line, which is still one of the worst quotes of the last year. 
good for Brandon Shannon. He's tough on the ice. He's tough in this moment. Been too soft in Toronto. Change up that up. Change it up. So nice, and everybody's great, and everybody loves each other. Enough of that crap. Too much love in the world now. That's my heel turn. It's too much love in the world. Too much nice. You know the world is so negative right now. It's dragging me down in the pit. I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> God. It's Wednesday, though. Hump day. We'll get through it. Other news. Vancouver. You had um, their head coach meet with the media. Obviously, Brucey Boudreaux. Bo Horvat remains unsigned. Their captain. A little awkward because JT Miller got a long-term extension. Bo Horvat's deal is not done. Pedersen's locked up. Quinn Hughes is locked up. Thatcher Demko is locked up. Bo Horvat is an expendable piece to me. He's on an expiring contract. If Vancouver, who missed the playoffs last year, I don't expect to make the playoffs this year, but you never know. If Vegas can fall out, maybe Vancouver can be that team that jumps in and fights for a wild-card spot. Keeper Vancouver's Elias Pettersson having a good start. He was so terrible to start last year. He needs to be productive from the jump. But if they're going to miss the playoffs, if they see something that they don't like, I would be trading Bohor about the trade deadline because I'm not paying him a huge salary to stick around. He has been a good leader. He's been a, been a good Vancouver Canuck. But I believe you can replace Bohor about for less money for what he brings to the table. He's a solid 200-foot player, but he's not a game-changer. He's not a top 10 center iceman in the league. You look at it, Dreisaitl's better than him. McDavid's better than him. Elias Lindholm's better than Horvat. JT Miller's better than Horvat. Nazem Kadri's better than Horvat. Matthews is better than Horvat. Tavares is better than Horvat, as I wince. Josh Norris is better than Bo Horvat. Tim Stutzla is better than Bo Horvat. Nick Suzuki is better than Bo Horvat. Mark Scheifele is better than Bo Horvat. Pierre-Luc Dubois is better than Bo That's just the Canadian teams. All those center icemen I just named are better than him. He's going to make a good sell. I think he's going to make six, five, six million dollars a year. I'm not paying him that. I'm not. I'll find a replacement for cheaper that gives the same value to me. I think he's liked in Vancouver, but they made the better signing. I'd rather have JT Miller, Pedersen, Hughes, those guys for a long term and let him walk. Good captain. It can be awkward, but you got to make your team the best that it can possibly be. I'm okay. Maybe he gets re-signed and it's all well and good, but I'm not killing my cap to keep Bo Horvat. He's inconsistent. He seems to get injured at some point of every year. And his offensive production just isn't there. He wins key faceoffs, which I like. He's really smart defensively. He will block a shot. He's hard-nosed type guy. But JT Miller is a game changer. Elias Pettersson can be the best player if he wakes up. Quinn Hughes is special. Thatcher Demko is one of the best goalies in the NHL, period. Demko, Ottinger, future of USA goaltending. Because both of them are really good. Bo Horvat, good luck to you this season. If you want to, I hope he stays in Vancouver if he wants to and they figure it out. But if I'm Vancouver and the sticking point is we, we, I want $6 million, I'm not paying him that. 
I'm not, win- I'm not, I'm not going to buckle to the pressure. I'm going to move on. Jim Rutherford won't be afraid to do that. He's a president. Yes, he's not the GM, but he's running the show there. He's running the show. He makes the final decisions. He's built Stanley Cup winning teams. He knows what it takes. And I don't think he's going to pay a bigger number than he has to for the production of Bo Horvat. Finally, before we wrap up today's show, we got baseball. Chicago White Sox are done, finally. They lost in 11 innings to the Cleveland Guardians last night. The Guardians now have a five-game lead in the American League Central. They're done. Chicago White Sox been hanging on forever. Easily the most disappointing team in all of baseball this year. They should be a high seed. They should be right behind the Astros. They're better than the Blue Jays. They're better than a lot of these teams, and they just completely fell on their face. Tony La Russa won't be back. They got to make wholesale changes. Lance Lynn's been a gas can. Lucas Giolito's got an over five ERA. Lance Lynn's got an over five ERA. Dylan Cease can come back. Johnny Cueto can come back. He's had a great season for the White Sox. Other than that, Rodon leaving really hurt this team. He's had a really good year in San Francisco, despite the fact that they're going to miss the playoffs as well. But credit to the Guardians. Trade away Lindor, trade away a bunch of pieces. Jose Ramirez has been fantastic. Josh Naylor's been a good ad, a good Canadian boy. Their pitching staff got hurt, but they battled through. Terry Francona is one of the best managers in baseball for a reason. He willed this team to get here. They are going to make the playoffs. They're going to have home field in a wildcard series. Good on, good on the Guardians. Good on the Guardians for, for battling, through, winning key games, dominating the Twins this year, and beating, you know, coming up with an 11th inning key victory against the White Sox. Tony Russo, you're 78 years old. It's time to hang him up. You're done. You had two years with the White Sox. I realize your buddy Jerry's Reinsdorf, the owner who's 80-something, who's also really old. It's time to move on in Chicago. The South Side needs a new manager, and it's not you anymore. Mariners and Jays are reeling. Sorry, and Rays are reeling. Jays keep winning. They crushed the Phillies last night, 18-11, no wacky game. It's not decided yet, but it looks like the Jays are going to get the top wild card spot, which is a good position for them. Yeah, they're not going to catch the Yankees. They have passed the Rays. The Rays are, like I said, reeling. Mariners have lost four of the last five. Three of those to the Angels, one to the Oakland Athletics. Shane McClanahan left the left the start against the Astros last night. Not good. Doesn't look healthy. The Astros are loaded, as I've talked about so many times. I think the American League, it's not that close. The Astros are so, so dominant. Guardians aren't close to them. I don't think the Jays are close, to, and the Yankees aren't either to me. I don't trust the Yankees pitching. Look at Nestor Cortez last night. Look at their boy who they signed for $350 million. He hasn't exactly been a great Yankee so far. I don't trust the Yankees. What I do trust is that Aaron Judge is going to get more than the 65 home runs I said yesterday. He hit number 60 last night in the, t- in the bottom of the ninth, which tied the game. Giancarlo Stanton then walked off the Pirates, who stink. Just they're going down levels of being just stink. St- Judge now has 60 home runs. He's one home run away from tying Roger Maris for the most home runs in Yankees history. But he also can do something this year that would be historic. Aaron Judge may win the Triple Crown. 
Aaron Judge, who didn't sign a $340 million, extend, or sign a $300 million extension before the year because he wanted to bet on himself, may win the Triple Crown, may get to 65-plus home runs. To me, he would be considered the home run king because he's the only guy that didn't stick a needle in his ass to do it, to get that many home runs. It's impressive. What's crazy is Aaron Judge is going to win the MVP, in particular if he wins the Triple Crown. But Shohei Otani had a quote the other day, and he said, I'm better this year than he was last year. He's right. His pitching is better than it was last year. He'll finish top. He'll finish high in the Cy Young. Shohei Otani may finish in the top three because of McClanahan's bad end to the season. Verlander will be there. I think he'll win it. Manoa might be will likely be nominated. I think it might be Otani, Manoa, and Verlander right now because McClanahan's had a tough end of the year. Dylan Cease is there as well for for the White Sox. That'll be a battle. But Otani's been better this season than he was last year, which is hard to believe. MVP, rock star, and Judge is going to win the MVP of the American League. I'm fine with it, but it's true what Otani said. He has been better this year. For baseball's sake, they got to get to the postseason. It's a it's a strain right now, baseball to me. There's not that the Mets and Braves are one interesting storyline. They're separated by a game. They got to play down the stretch here. That's an interesting storyline. Opposed to that, the Jays aren't interesting to watch. I'm sorry, they're not. Rays are stinking. Mariners. The Brewers can't win a game. They can't even stay close to the Phillies, who keep losing. They keep. Keeps trying to keep the Milwaukee Brewers in it. They can't even figure it out. Dodgers winning so many games. That's not interesting to me. Playoff baseball needs to happen. Like I said, the interesting stories, Mets, Braves, Judges, home run chase, and Albert Pujols. That's what baseball has to offer right now. There's not a whole lot else. It's a slog to get to the end here. But we're, we're moving. I'm going to track Aaron Judge. AL Central's done. AL East is done. Yankees are winning it. AL Wildcard, it's sort of a race, but not really. Baltimore's done. They lost again to the Tigers last night. So you know the three teams is where they finish stacked up. That's not that compelling. National League, the Brewers just stink. They can't figure out a way to win a game. But Aaron Judge is compelling. That storyline, his production, I'm in on that. I'm interested to see how many he finishes with. And if he can win the Triple Crown, Aaron Judge will get $400 million from somebody. Might might not be the team from the Bronx, but a team in Major League Baseball will hand that man $400 million because they're desperate. Because they saw his season. And I said this earlier to friends on the text chain. This Aaron Judge deal is going to remind me of Albert Pujols. If you recall, Albert Pujols left the St. Louis Cardinals when he was 31 years old. When he was 31, he had won three World Series, two MVPs, and he was a career 320 hitter in the majors. He was already a Hall of Famer when he left the when he left St. Louis at 31. Aaron Judge has played seven seasons in the big leagues. He's hit 50 over 50 home runs twice. He's had two great seasons as a pro. Other than that, not that great. So Albert Pujols has been staggeringly better at his part of his career than Judge is right now. 
Pujols was given a pile of money from the Los Angeles Angels. They played in three playoff games in his decade in Anaheim. He stays with the Yankees. They'll play more than three playoff games, but are they going to win a World Series? I don't know. And they're going to likely sign him to a 10-year contract like the Angels did, and it's been an albatross on their team. They're still trying to find their way. They still stink. Eliminated from playoff contention again for another season last night. I'm not giving Aaron Judge $400 million. If I'm the, I just talked about Shanahan. Have some, I'm not giving him $400. i am not giving a 10-year contract to a 31-year-old man. This is the one season he's never gotten injured. Look at Stanton's contract. Does that look good? Sure, he had a walk-off last night, but he misses half of every year. He's batting 220. I don't want that. I'm like, I don't want two of those big contracts. And you got Garrett Cole's contract on that team? Oy vey. It's a tough decision in business in these sports. You let a player walk, the people in the Bronx will be furious. You sign him, he's bad, people will be furious. He can't win. But maybe a new GM, because if the Yankees lose before the World Series, I think Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone are going to be fired anyway. So be a new person deciding on the decision-making for the Yankees. But something, ladies and gents, that you have to remember. Sometimes in life, it's best to beat around the bush. Others, you just got to get to the point. 